Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be speaking out of the book of Acts. We see examples for us of how the early church lived, how they functioned, what they gave themselves to, what they committed themselves to. It's from that that we gain our insight into how the church should function today. And as you've heard me say many times, sadly, I know that there's so many ways in which we don't get it right. But I know, I know that there's grace and there's mercy. And certainly when I stand there in the throne room of heaven, there's going to be just a flood of information. However it gets in there, we're going to know. We're going to know the answers to the questions we have. We're going to realize the ways in which we probably should have done things differently. But what we see within the Word, we strive to achieve it. We strive to accomplish it. We seek to say, Lord, we want to do it the right way. In, in our support of other brothers and sisters out there, our support of other churches, that's one of the ways that we do that. And last week in chapter 12, we saw that the early church was in constant prayer for one another. They were continually in prayer. We hear the Apostle Paul say that we should pray without ceasing. That should be an aim of ours, to develop a habit of prayer, to develop a mindset of prayer, a lifestyle of prayer, where we are continually seeking the Lord. And that's what we saw within the church. We saw Peter, who was in prison for the third time, yet Peter was at peace. Though he was chained to a guard on either side, 16 guards in total that oversaw him to make sure that he didn't escape again, James had just been beheaded, and here Peter was at sleep. He was sleeping soundly. Yeah, he was miraculously released. And Herod's attempts to silence the church, they didn't prevail. It says at the end of the chapter that the word of God went forth, that it grew and it multiplied. We saw three key things from the church last week. The first of which is that God knows our trials. God's never surprised by the obstacles that we're facing. God never says, whoa, didn't see that coming. Guess I'll need to work out a new plan. If we believe truly, if we believe and profess and know in our heart of hearts that our God is omniscient, He knows all, that He's omnipresent, He can be everywhere at once, that He's omnipotent, that He is all-powerful, then we must trust and know that He knows our trials. He knows the battles that we're facing, that are waging. He's never surprised. He knows and He's there. Think of our study in Revelation, the times very early on as we see the glorified Jesus Christ speak the the letters to the churches and how in a couple of those letters specifically, he emphasizes, I know, I know, I know what you're going through. I know what you're facing. I know what you're enduring. He knows. Secondly, we saw that God hears our prayers. That God hears our prayers. Specifically in chapter 12, we see the amazing power of prayer within the church. We see how God answered that prayer. And it may be at times that our prayers are not answered in the time that we think they should be, the time that we expect them to be, or the way in which we think they would be answered or should be answered. But God hears and God moves. The church was praying for Peter and suddenly Peter was there standing at the door, knocking to come in, and they didn't believe it. So they said to the little girl, you're beside yourself. Essentially, you're crazy. It's something else. Somebody else is there. God couldn't have really answered our prayer just like that. Oh, ye of little faith. You see, when we pray, we need to pray with expectation. 
We need to pray with expectation. We can see within the Word of God that certain times, certain prayers, again, they may not always be answered the way that we think they're going to be answered. God doesn't always work the way that we think He's going to work. In fact, He tells us in His Word that my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. He says that just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts. That we don't have the perspective that God has. And how dare we attempt to to have that or to think that we could have that. When we pray, we must pray with faith. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. We see that in Hebrews chapter 11. So when we pray according to his will, we should pray with expectation, knowing that God will hear our prayers. And third, finally, as God sees our trials, as he hears our prayers, we can also be confident that he fights our battles. The enemy's plan, Satan's plan, has always been and always will be to disrupt the plan of God. Satan seeks to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he desires to do. And he will attempt to do that until the very end. But we can be confident that God is fighting that battle. In fact, we can be confident that that battle has already been won. Through the cross, Satan has already been tried and convicted. As I said Wednesday night, it's just his execution is awaiting him. But it's not that it won't happen. God fights our battles. All God desires from us is our obedience. Faith, believing, trusting, saying, Lord, you say to do this, and I will do it. I will believe, I will trust, I will follow. And though I may not obtain the promises that you have, you have shared with me in this time, in the way in which I had expected to obtain them, I still believe, I still trust knowing that he'll take care of the rest. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of heaven, and all these things shall be added unto you. We just need to know where we need to look. What is the source? What do we focus on to allow all the other things to fall into place? And we read verse 24 at the end of chapter 12, but the word of God grew and multiplied. You see, Herod, in what he attempted to do in his own pride and his desire to please the Jewish people, he said, oh, I'll kill off the apostles. I'll silence their teaching. I'll destroy the word of God that's going forth. That was the enemy's plan, disrupt the plan of God. But what he tried to do failed. And the word of God actually grew and multiplied. It means it went forth. Like the early church that was scattered in persecution, they were like seeds in the wind. What the enemy attempted to do by destroying them only made it grow, only sent these faithful believers in other parts of the world that the gospel could go forth. And to try and silence the word of God is like adding gasoline to a fire. It will never put it out, but only cause it to grow that much more. And we read then in verse 25 of the end of chapter 12, as as we'll transition into our study in 13 today, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry. And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Barnabas and Saul, who had taken a gift of support to Jerusalem. You remember they had put their money together to take it to Jerusalem to assist and to support in the famine that was prophesied. So they brought a gift to Jerusalem. And what we see as they return is a continual commitment of the church in prayer, to be in prayer seeking the Lord and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We'll see how God continues to move here in chapter 13, to direct so that the gospel could go forth. And what we'll hear today is really the first account we have of Paul's 
first missionary journey and sermon. Though he's spoken before, though he's shared the gospel before, we're going to see his first real sermon recorded in Acts. It's strikingly similar to those that he had heard before. Going all the way back to Stephen as he stood there as one who did not believe in Jesus Christ and heard Stephen proclaim the truth of the gospel before he was stoned to death. Knowing at that point we could see how and read and understand and having the rest of the word to tell us and to confirm that that word had been etched in his heart, that it changed him, and how he begins to proclaim that same truth. And so what we have in chapter 13 today is quite simple. It's quite simple as we continue to hear how the church function, and then we hear of Paul tell us of the foundations of the faith. And so what chapter 13, though we won't get through all of it today, serves us as is a reminder of our faith, the foundation which we stand, what it is that we believe and why we believe it. And it gives to us the importance of pursuing God, of being in prayer, and of seeking the Lord for the calling that He's placed on our lives. And so as we continue, if you would, just agree with me in prayer as we transition into 13 here. Father, we pause again this morning and we give you thanks for your word. As we open it here, Lord, and continue to study it, Lord, give us understanding. Speak to us here this morning, Lord. Teach us, show us what you have for us. May we be so moved by the Holy Spirit here today that we'd grow, we'd be strengthened in our faith, Lord, that we'd leave here today more in love with you, the greater understanding of what you desire for us and how we can minister to others, Lord, throughout this week ahead. Lord, help us to put belief to action through the word here, Lord. We'd be stirred up to serve you more, Lord. So, Father, do that work, we pray. Work in us and, and bless this service today in every aspect of ministry here, Lord. All of our faithful teachers and the children, Lord, watch over them all this morning, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So chapter 13, verse 1 reads, Now in the church that was at Antioch, so now they're back, they're back in Antioch at the church there. This is the Gentile, the first Gentile church. There were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod, the Tetrarch, and Saul. These are certain prophets and teachers who were serving in the early Gentile church. These individuals that were specifically mentioned here, Simeon or Simon, Barnabas, we know, we know Saul and Barnabas. Saul will be called Paul here from his sermon moving forward. He'll be called by his other name. He had a, a Roman name. He basically had Saul, which his parents called him, and he had Paul, which is what his friends called him. Paul means little, so that gives you a little bit of a description of Paul. I guess he didn't mind being called little. Maybe at this point in his life, he was comfortably being humbled a little bit as people called him little everywhere he went. And Barnabas, these two apostles, says that they were prophets and teachers, but we have these other individuals who are mentioned here. Saul and Barnabas now had John Mark with them. We learned that from the end of chapter 12. They brought Mark. They brought the one who would eventually write the, the gospel of Mark, who had been with Jesus, who had observed amazing things. Imagine having Mark with them as they shared the truth of the gospel, and Mark was there to fill in some of the blanks of the things that he saw and he experienced. Simeon or Simon, as it can be translated, who's believed by many to be the man who carried the cross with Jesus on the road to Calvary. This man who got thrust into this situation, who, who bore the burden of the cross alongside Jesus Christ. And we don't know this for sure, but if it is, and we would expect it to be, why wouldn't a situation like that change somebody? And for him to be there now ministering with these other men, being considered a prophet and a teacher, Lucius from Cyrene, we don't know much of him. And then there's this one called Menaean 
Menaean, it says, and it's interesting we're given this little bit here, was brought up with Herod the Tetrarch. This was the Herod that had John the Baptist beheaded. Herod, like all the Herods, struggled with pride. He was backed into a corner. He would have gladly heard John the Baptist in reality. We don't think that he really wanted to do what he did to carry out an execution on John the Baptist, but he got backed into a corner, and he was too focused on his pride, too focused on his own authority, that to not do what he had promised to be done would have jeopardized that. And he had John the Baptist beheaded. Yet here we have this individual Menaean. We don't know how exactly they were brought up together. We don't know what that relationship was, but we can see distinctly a difference in how they each lived their lives and what they pursued in the paths that they went down. Here's this man who likely has some great insight into what was going on during this time. And here he was serving the Lord. And in verse 2 it says, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. Now, what do we see happening here in in the early church? This verse here, verses 2 and 3 rather, have a whole lot to give us our understanding of what's continuing to happen within the early church. The first thing that we see here is it says that they ministered to the Lord. Now think about that. They ministered to the Lord. Now, here's what we need to think about. Are you here today to be ministered to? What's your mindset when you come to church? Are you here to be ministered to? Are you here to minister to others? Are you here to minister to the Lord? In my opinion, it should and can be all three. All three. But oftentimes, it's only the first. Right? Oftentimes, we go thinking, I need to be ministered to. I need to be ministered to. I need something. I need to receive something. And, and it may not even come across or feel as if it's that selfish of a way, but you're in a spot in life where you feel like, I just really need to be ministered to right now. And here it says that the church was ministering to the Lord. Oftentimes we can leave church and we think, we can be asking ourselves, was I ministered to today? Did people seek me out? Did they talk to me? Did the message touch me? Did did someone pray for me? Did I like the worship? Did the worship minister to me? I don't like that song. That song doesn't move me the way the other song does. And we can constantly think about all the ways in which church should minister to us instead of thinking about how do I go and minister to others? How do I go and minister to the Lord? And when we do that and we don't consider our role in ministering to other people, and even more so how we minister to the Lord, then we fail on realizing and experiencing so much of what God has for us. Some of us may think, how can I minister to the Lord? What do I have to offer Him? What can I do? How How is it possible that I could minister to the Lord? What do you think? You see, worship, as we already talked about this morning, worship as we prayed can be surrender. It's what partially it's intended to be. What is praise but saying thank you? Giving thanks, giving honor, glorifying God. You see, we are called to minister to the Lord, to offer Him our lives, our obedience, to seek Him and to praise Him. We should leave the church with confidence that we ministered to the Lord. Oh, we gave Him our all today. We praised Him, we thanked Him, we sought Him in prayer. Not that we're prideful in that, not that we say, hey, we nailed it. But there's a sense of, yes, Lord, I'm offering it all to you. I'm doing my best to try and just give you everything that I can, Lord. Take it all. That there's a sense of it being about Him and not about us. To bring glory to the Father, that should be our aim. 
then to serve one another. When we do these things, then we will feel like we are ministered to. If you're coming to church feeling like you need to be ministered to, that may be a proper feeling. You may be in a place where you're feeling like, I really need the Lord to just pour into me. But the way in which we can accomplish that is by starting first by pouring out to Him, to say, Lord, take it all. I surrender to, to praise Him, to make sure from that very beginning as we go into a time of praise and worship, that's why it's important. That's why we continually look to not manufacture something, but to try and figure out how do we make sure that our services allows for people to connect in that way, to begin to just cry out to God and to say thank you and to praise Him and to surrender to Him. Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2, quoted often, encourages us and reminds us of what we are to be to God, and that's living sacrifices, to offer ourselves, to give of ourselves. And when we do that, when we begin to do that regularly, when we begin to think about how we're pouring out to Him into others, then that comes back to us. That's how we start to be ministered to. And this is what was happening at the church in Antioch, that they were ministering to the Lord, they were seeking Him. How else did they do that? What are the other ways that we see here that the church was able to minister to the Lord? It says that they fasted, secondly. They waited on the Lord. They were intentional in seeking Him. They were intentional in sacrificing and saying, you know, that's what fasting is. It's taking a period of, a, of time, time when you would normally do something else. You see, you can fast from a number of different things. Mostly we see people fast from eating. During that time when you would normally be eating, you would say, I'm giving this time to the Lord. I'm going to sit in prayer. I'm going to wait on Him. That I'm going to take away this time that I would normally seek to meet my own needs and say, Lord, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to spend time waiting on you. And naturally, when you're in a time of regular fasting, you'll likely become hungry. You'll likely begin to think about the things that your body needs. The enemy will try to distract you as you're feeling weaker. But in doing that, that's where you get to look to the Lord for strength. That the joy of the Lord would be your strength. That you could look to Him and say, I don't want to be distracted by anything else. I want to give you this time. That's what they were doing. They were fasting. They were waiting on the Lord. They were expecting. And they prayed. We've seen this consistently, that they prayed. It said in chapter 12 that the church was constantly in prayer. And they went before Him in prayer and supplication, seeking His will. And prayer and fasting, they go hand in hand. If there's not prayer, then it's just dieting. Really what it is. If there's not prayer and fasting, right, you've got to be seeking the Lord, otherwise you're just not eating. Right? You've got to use that time to say, I'm going to go before the Lord, I'm going to be in His Word. I'm going to look to hear from Him. And you know, it's sometimes too in prayer and fasting where you're there and you don't know what to pray. Some of us were talking about this earlier this week. I can share, and I've shared this with many of you before, one of the greatest struggles in my own walk with the Lord has been prayer. Not that I don't pray, not that I don't commit myself to it, but there are times when I just feel like, you know, I pray what I know I'm supposed to pray, and then I'm not hearing anything, and it's like, well, let's just go. You know, it's easier for me to be in the Word reading because it's more tangible to me. I'm, getting, I'm, I'm reading through it. I'm reading. I'm seeing things. I'm thinking, oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. But I know that the Lord calls me to prayer. That's how I can communicate with Him. That's how He can communicate with me. But sometimes when it's not happening right away, I get frustrated. I get bored. I get antsy. I want to move on to something else. That's my personality. Maybe that doesn't happen to any of you. Maybe you're in times of prayer and you think, I don't even know what I'm supposed to say right now. What do I say? What do I do? You know, those are the best times to just be in prayer, to just rest, to make sure it's quiet, and to just sit there and wait and say, Lord, I don't know what to pray, but I'm going to ask you to show me, to tell me, to place upon my heart that thing that I need to offer to you, to speak to me, 
and you give it enough time, you're patient. Pastor Roger from Kalamazoo, who many of you now know and who I was raised up in the ministry under, he forced us into it. Every Thursday, 5 a.m., you're here at the church. I want you on your face. Literally, floor like this, and we're all just there. And, you know, somebody would doze off every now and then. It never happened to me. But he said, no, we're going to learn how to seek the Lord together in this way. And sure enough, you know, at first it would be, maybe we'd start out with just the list of prayer requests, the things we had known that had come into the church, and we're specifically lifting those individuals up. But you'd get to that place where suddenly it was a bit more quiet. What do we pray for? And he'd wait and he'd wait, and all of a sudden the Spirit would start to move. He'd impress upon our hearts needs of the body, things in our own lives that, you know, maybe, maybe we hadn't dealt with yet that we needed to just offer to the Lord and say, Lord, I, I repent of this, or whatever the case may be. They were consistent in this. They sought this out. They pursued the Lord in this way. It says that they laid hands on one another. See, not only were they in constant prayer, but they were praying for one another. They were seeking one another and the calling that God had on each other's lives. They anointed one another. They they recognized God's blessing on individuals. They were looking to understand and to see who is God using for this particular work. Who is he raising up? And then they'd confirm it. When the Holy Spirit would confirm their calling, they would lay hands on that individual. They would pray for them. They sought the leading of the Holy Spirit. They would not act without the Holy Spirit directing. They wouldn't move without a sense of God said so. God told us to do this. This is in some ways a foreign thing to us today. I mean, it more and more and more, I think as you grow in your faith, you seek the Lord. Hopefully that's what you do. You should be seeking the Lord and seeking His will for your life. But there's so much noise today. There's so much input. There's so much self-help and all these different ways in which we can interpret this and ways that we can interpret this and ways that we can understand this, that it's created a dependency on all these tools and a lack of dependency on just seeking the Lord and resting and waiting to hear from Him. Did they hear an audible voice from God? I don't think so. It says that there were teachers and there were prophets. Remember, at this point, the New Testament is in the process of being written. You know, they had the Old Testament that reinforced the promises that they could see the truth of what was happening here, but they had the prophets in this time as well to confirm those things. That as they were praying, there would be somebody who says, I have a word from the Lord. And I believe the Lord has told me that such and such, or, or this person, or this individual, and they'd pray about that, and they'd look to see the fruit in that person's life, and they were dependent on hearing from the Lord, on getting guidance from the Holy Spirit. We need more of that. We need more of that today. And then from there, they sent others out. They ministered to the Lord by sending people out to carry on the work. Missionaries fulfilling the Great Commission. People going forth and serving, acting as living epistles, telling their story. How many times as of late have you heard me talk about telling your story? Robin Conrad faithfully has done that, and we've heard testimonies of how her story has touched other people's lives. Yesterday, we had three more people filmed for their stories that you guys will get to see. So get excited. Look forward to that. I'm not going to tell you who they are. It's a little teaser. Come back, find out. But the importance of that and recognizing that that that's what a living epistle is. We've got the letters. We've got the letters right here that are written to go forth, that teach truth, to be shared with people that speak to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is the Word of God, so I wouldn't dare say that what we're doing is better than that. 
But the reality of us telling our story, that's a living epistle. That's us going forth and proclaiming what it is that God has done. What did Jesus say to the man who was demon-possessed by a whole legion of demons? And they asked that they could be cast into the swine. And so he casts out these demons, and they go into the pigs. And then the man who is just beside himself, that he's been freed of this, what does he want to do? He wants to go with Jesus. That's the good thing to do. That would be the natural thing, I think, in that moment to say, can I please come with you? But Jesus says, no. What does you want him to do? I want you to go back. I want you to tell everybody. Go back and tell everybody about what just happened. You see, we've got to proclaim. We've got to go out. They were sent out. They weren't just sitting there praying to say, Lord, just make this the best place ever where we could have the sweetest fellowship of all time and just love one another. That, that happened. That happened naturally. That was a product of what was going on there. But that's not what they were seeking. They were seeking wisdom and direction and guidance on who would go. Who's next? Who's next to go? Now, you may be here today, as we've talked about many times, and, and Pastor Bobby just talked about it recently as he taught from Jonah. You may be here and you think, you know, missions. Missions isn't anywhere on my radar. And it may not be. Not everybody's called to go out into the mission field in terms of going abroad, internationally, whatever the case may be. But some of you are. Some of you are absolutely called to that. But as we'll see here with Paul and Barnabas and John Mark, is that they're going to walk a long distance, and they're going to get on a boat, and they're going to go across the sea, and then they're going to go here, and they're going to go there. They're going all over the place. What we have to recognize where we need to start is sometimes God's just saying, go next door. See that person sitting right over there? Go. Go talk to them. Go talk to them. We, they sent others out. They laid hands on individuals, they prayed for them, and they sent them out. And so we read in verse 4, so being sent out, because they had a degree and they were blessed and just an amazing speaker and had 10,000 followers and everything else, right? No. Being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. And then when they arrived in Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. They also had John as their assistant. They were sent out. They were sent out by the Holy Spirit. You see, the church there had recognized the anointing on their lives. It was confirmed through the Holy Spirit. They prayed for them. They laid hands on them, and they said, go, go. This is the heart of Calvary Chapel. This is how Calvary Chapel was birthed. Calvary Chapel is about sending people out. And in the previous verse, the Holy Spirit had said to them, separate to me for the work that I have called them to. You see, this is part of what they were seeking. And the Holy Spirit led them. It called them that they were to separate out. That, hey, these individuals, they're the ones who are going to go. You need to set them aside, separate them. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It was God who sent them out, God who called, God who works, but he separated them. God had a plan and a purpose for these men, the same way that he has a plan and purpose for each and every one of you. We'd read earlier in Acts chapter 9 that God had a plan for Saul. Remember when Saul was being called on the road to Damascus, and he said, I have a plan and a purpose for this individual. Included in that is he said, I, I will show him how much you should suffer for my namesake. You see, just because there's a plan and a purpose doesn't mean it's going to be easy, by the way. doesn't mean it's just going to be this awesome thing, this culmination of years of hard work, and it's just going to be this amazing, glory-filled thing that's just going to be so easy and so wonderful, and everybody's going to love me, and it's going to be great. No. 
Now, it will be fruitful. It will be fulfilling. You'll see God work in that. That should be enough for us. But sometimes it's hard. These guys had to face significant difficulties in fulfilling the calling on their lives. The fact that they were separated in and of itself tells us that. To be separated means that they had to step aside. They had to leave something. They had to say goodbye. They had to say, no more of this. I have to do this now. They had to accept that call. It means leaving something, giving something up in some cases. It can be an exciting thing, but a challenging thing. And that's the work that we're often called to. And we have to accept that. We have to be willing to say, okay, that as God moves, as God guides and directs, as the Holy Spirit confirms the calling in someone's life, as we accept that, as we say yes, we also have to recognize that we're to be then set apart. As Christians in general, we're to be set apart. We're to be different. We're to be willing to say, I'm saying goodbye to this life. I'm saying goodbye to the things of the world. We're not going to get there today. We're only at verse 6. You know, this is it's funny. Sometimes, and I can't quite explain it, but you know, sometimes you'll, you'll be preparing for something. You'll just think, Lord, something... I don't know. I don't know what it is. I've got this preparation. I've got these notes, but Lord, I don't feel like we're going to use them today. <laughs> I don't know how far I'm going to get. Lord, there was, there's parts of the message today I said, I don't even know that we're going to touch that. I'm not even spending any time there. I don't know why, but I'm not going to spend any time there. And here we are, and we're not going to finish it. We're not going to get very far at all. So let's, we're going to go to Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. Faith is substance. You see, it's difficult for us because we want to feel things, we want to touch things, we want to be able to see it. I want to know. If you tell me that this exists, I need to see it. I need to hold it. Okay, that exists. But the promises within the Word of God are not as easy to obtain, to lay hold of, to make as tangible as that sometimes. Faith. Faith is the substance of those things that we hope for. It's the evidence of things not seen. It's what's being manifested in us that we can look to and say, faith, I believe, and I can't deny that. It's working. I believe it. I trust in it. I have peace. It's the evidence of the things that may not be seen. It says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. It's by faith that we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God. It's by faith that we understand and we know that this world in which we live exists because God spoke it into being. We believe that. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and through it he being dead still speaks. But by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death, and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. See, without faith, it's impossible to please him. Do we understand that? That we need faith to please God. It's through faith that we can communicate and and show God that I believe We can't please God if we don't. If we don't have faith and we don't believe, we doubt and we don't trust and we can't please God, we can't glorify God. It's through that faith, that belief, that trust that brings him glory. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. 
You see, Noah, what we often don't think about with Noah is, is not only that the time in which it took to build the ark was a very long time, and so it exposed him to a great deal of scrutiny, and, and people were able to make fun of him and call him names and everything else because he was saying what was going to happen, and it just wasn't happening. Years and years, and it's not happening. But here's the other crazy thing about it that we often don't think about. It didn't rain at that time. Do you know that? Do you remember that? It didn't rain. So when Noah's saying, well, there's going to be rain that's going to flood the earth, everybody even more so was saying, you're nuts. I don't even know what you're talking about. Literally, they didn't know because mist would come up. The earth was still self-sustained at that point. They didn't even have this concept of rain coming down. He was even more crazy. But by faith, he did it. He believed. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. That's the piece I wanted to get to right there. That's what sparked in my mind as I'm sitting here thinking about those who were called to be separated. Do you understand that when God calls you to something, and you've already been called, the fact that if you proclaim to be a Christian today, you've already been called. The Spirit has drawn you to repentance. You didn't do that in and of yourself. I didn't do that. Nobody accomplished that. We were just agents in the process, being used by God. But it was His Spirit who drew you under repentance. And so by that very virtue, you've been called. But as you've been called, you're also being called to be set apart. As the Holy Spirit said, and now in this particular case, He was separating them for the laying on of hands to say that they're going to be the ones that are going forth. But the same principle applies, that as that calling is realized in our lives, we're to be separated. And to be separated means that we have to be willing to say, I'm giving this up. I'm setting this aside. I'm recognizing, God, that you're doing something, and I now need to commit myself to that instead of the thing that I was maybe committing myself to. Even that thing may have been good. It may have seemed good. It may have seemed pleasing to the Lord. But maybe God is saying, no, I need you to go do this. Or it may be that it's the initial call, and yeah, you have to say goodbye, world. I'm no longer going to live in it. And that's what we see here with Abraham. Abraham here says that he obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive as an inheritance. Did he know what that place was? No. He didn't know what it was. We want to say, God, tell me what it is, where it's at. Give me the brochure. You know, let me get the appraisal, the home inspection. Let me get this done. Let me get that done. Then... Okay, Lord, you're right. God, you're right. That is a good place. I'll go there now. No. God said, I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to show you a land. And he didn't know it. He didn't know about it, but by faith, he dwelt in the land. But you know how he was able to do that? Do you know how he was by faith able to dwell in the land? Because he dwelt in it as a foreigner. You see, I was studying something recently that, and it was incredibly profound you know, we may have heard this before, but what he said was, Abraham had one foot in the land, and he had one foot in heaven. He had his feet in the land that God had given to him, but his heart was in heaven. And when we think about then God's calling on our lives, when we think about the challenge and the difficulty of believing sometimes the promises, when we think about the calling and the requirement that comes along with that to say, you need to be separated from this, you need to say goodbye to this, it should be easy for us and as much as we've talked about faith, in order to grow in faith, in order to have faith, you need to exercise it. And God will give you practice in that. He will allow you to practice faith. He will allow you to exercise that faith muscle. And you know what he's going to require you to do? 
He's going to say, take one step. Give me one step. And yeah, you have no idea where that step's going to be. You have no idea. There may be a thousand foot drop. It may be water. You don't know, but I'm asking you to take a step. Take one step. And that's how we start to grow that faith muscle. That's how it starts to happen. But we're able to do that when we start to believe the promises. When we start to choose to believe and say, God, this is difficult. This is challenging. I don't understand it. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable, whatever the case may be. But I know the promises of your word. I know that you work all things together for the good of those who love you, who are called according to your plan and your purpose. And I'm going to believe. Furthermore, I recognize that I am not of this world. That yes, my feet are here right now and I'm to be active in this world. I'm to be working for you. But my heart is there in heaven. And so knowing that, then you can call me anywhere. You can put me anywhere. Because it's just temporary. Am I making sense? This is faith. This chapter goes on and on and on. And this is what they were being called to. And it's what we're being called to today. To believe. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week. So make sure you're subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.